Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Hebrews with this message entitled, Jesus, Our Anchor of Hope. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Lord, we pray that you help anyone who is here, who is building his life upon flimsy foundations. Help them to abandon them and to trust in Jesus Christ alone. This we pray in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. Hebrews chapter 6. Jesus, our anchor of hope. Psalmist David asked the question, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? What do you do when your foundations are destroyed by unexpected circumstances of economic reversals? severe sickness, unjust treatments from the authorities, children becoming wicked, and parents dying in the midst of their years, and divorcing. What should you do? What would you do when you are tried like Job? When the ship of your life is beaten against by severe storms, do you have an anchor that steadies your soul? Our text provides us with such an anchor. Even Jesus Christ, who having provided purification for sins by his atonement, rose from the dead and entered into heaven. He as our anchor of hope is linked to us and to God on whose right hand he is seated in the Holy of Holies of the heavenly sanctuary. The pastor author exhorted the Hebrews previously to be diligent in the obedient service of Christ that they may be filled with the assurance of hope and imitate those who by patient faith received the promises. Now in this text he illustrates the patient faith of Abraham, the father of all believers. First, God's promise to Abraham. By grace, God chose to reveal himself as savior to Abraham, who was an idol worshiper in Mesopotamia. So turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. The Lord 
had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. And you see this promise repeated so many times. In Genesis 13, 14 through 15. Genesis 15, 4 through 5. Genesis 17, 5, 15 through 19. And a number of other places. And later on, God confirmed this covenant to Isaac in Genesis 26 and to Jacob in Genesis 28 and verse 13. God promising salvation to Abraham and to his descendants by sheer grace and mercy. When God makes a promise, he fulfills the promise. God must be trusted because God is not man that he should lie. God, St. Paul says in Titus, cannot lie. Jesus himself said, thy word is truth. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So Abraham believed God and it was counted for righteousness. His body was as good as dead and so was the body of Sarah, 90 years of age. Yet St. Paul tells us against hope, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and became the father of many nations. He was fully persuaded that God has power to do what he had promised. A God who calls into existence things that do not exist. So after 25 years of patient endurance, he received the promised son Isaac. Isaac grew up. Then came the most severe trial of Abraham's life. No person on earth has experienced such severe testing. A testing not from the devil, but from God himself. Genesis 22, God commanded Abraham to sacrifice as a holocaust his teenage son. His only son. The son whom he loved, even Isaac. The one through whom God promised salvation was to come to the whole world. Yet Abraham obeyed. In faith, we read that he journeyed to Mount Moriah for sacrificing his son, having reasoned that God of glory could raise the dead. And we are told 
figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back. Secondly, God's oath to Abraham. God's promises are inviolable, irre irrevocable, immutable. In God, there is no shadow of turning. Yet, in response to Abraham's obedient faith in God's command to sacrifice Isaac, God, for the greater comfort and assurance of Abraham, and especially of all the heirs of promise, God gave in addition to promise an oath. In a fallen world, sinful men make their promises and covenants, and yet they are unreliable. Therefore, they make their promise very, very strong by an oath, particularly in the name of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13, we read, Fear the Lord, your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Such an oath given by men is the highest affirmation of one's trustworthiness. Such an oath, when given by men, stops all disputes. Such oath is given for confirmation and guarantee of one's promise. If one lies under oath, he violates the third commandment that says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. So in Genesis 14:22, we read, Abram himself made an oath before the king of Sodom. But the truth is, God has no need to take an oath. Yet God took an oath for giving strong encouragement to Abraham and all the heirs of God's promise. So turn with me to chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. Let me read to you from verse 15 through 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. Abraham received only partial fulfillment of the promise. Certainly he received much wealth. After 25 years of waiting he received Isaac and then after another 15 years he received his son back from destruction he also saw Jacob the covenant son 
when Abraham died, we noticed that Jacob was 15 years of age. Abraham believed that salvation was to come through his son Isaac. And in some fashion, we are told that he also saw the day of Jesus. And Jesus himself said so in John 8 and verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see Rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it. And was glad. And we read from the book of Hebrews chapter 11. That Abraham looked forward to a city. A heavenly city. And a heavenly country. Abraham was not. Merely looking forward to. Canaan. He was looking forward to the city of God whose builder and maker is God. Therefore, we can understand that he, by faith, looked forward to the day of Jesus Christ, his son, for his own salvation. Abraham received the promise only the first installment. He did not receive the fullness of it. So turn with me to chapter 11 and verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. That is none of them received in its fullness. The prophets themselves did not see the day of the seed of Abraham through whom the blessings of salvation was to come to all the world. So Peter himself in chapter 1 tells us, beginning with verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven even angels long to look into these things. Third, God's purpose for giving these two unchangeable things, the promise and oath. God gave promise of salvation through the seed of Abraham. God gave an oath also though it was not necessary at all. Why did he give an oath in addition to the promise? And when you read chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, you will discover God's purpose. God willed, God planned, God intended to demonstrate, we are told, more convincingly to the heirs of the promise that is to everyone who believes in Jesus, both Jew and Gentile, the immutability of his bully, of his purpose, 
of his decree. And what is God's decree? It is to save a people for himself. And God wants his people to have great assurance. Therefore he gives promise and oath. For this purpose the text tells us he mediator interposed with an oath. God purposes that we must have mighty encouragement. Not a weak nebulous one. God desires us to be filled with and overflowing in assurance of hope. God desires us to have the most powerful conviction, comfort, encouragement, and hope when all other foundations fail. We must be able to say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. To be able to say neither death, nor life, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He desires that we must enjoy absolutely mighty encouragement. Peter had this mighty encouragement when he was crucified for his faith. Paul enjoyed this mighty encouragement when he was executed. For them to depart from this life was to be present with the Lord. Now the question is, has God fulfilled his promises? Promise of saving a people for himself and for his great glory. And the answer is yes. For we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. In Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, all the promises of God are fulfilled. St. Paul tells us, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Number four, God's heirs. Who are God's heirs? The Jewish people or Gentiles included? The truth is, we are God's heirs. Heirs of God's promise. Heirs of this promise of salvation are all those who trust in Jesus. For their eternal salvation. They are both Jews and Gentiles. God does not have two peoples. God has only one people consisting of Jews and Gentiles. One people without any distinction and difference. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. In chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then. That those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. Chapter 3 Galatians verse 29. If you belong to Christ. 
How do you belong to Christ? By trusting in Him alone for your eternal salvation. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. I am a child of Abraham. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. And turn to Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, that is the Jewish people, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, he is the father of us all. Then chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews and verse 16 tells us that Jesus Christ Christ helps certain people. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And we are Abraham's descendants because we have trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. For our mighty encouragement, mighty encouragement of God's heirs, God gave us promise and also an oath. And all other foundations fail. We stand on the foundation of God. We stand on his promise confirmed by his oath by himself. So ask the heirs of God, what what do we do? And we are told in verse 18 of chapter 6, As heirs, we fled for refuge. As Noah and his family fled to the ark for salvation from the flood of God's wrath. We who trust in Jesus Christ fled from the wrath of God. And we fled to Jesus Christ, our refuge and our salvation. As Lot fled from the fire of God's wrath, we fled to Jesus from the allurements of the world and its pleasures of sin for a season. In Israel, those who killed someone unintentionally flee to a city of refuge and be saved. Even so, we who sinned against God intentionally and unintentionally, by His grace, we have fled from the avenger of blood to Jesus, our Savior. That's what heirs of promise would do. We turn from sin to our Savior Jesus. We truly repented of our sins. We hate wickedness and we love righteousness. And we are told we flood for refuge. That is negative, but as heirs of promise, we fled to lay hold of the promise laid before us. Promise of hope set before us. Let me tell you, Christian hope is objective. It is laid before you. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became man, who died in our place for our sins and raised for our justification. Jesus Christ who died and was buried. Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ who went through the heavens. Jesus Christ who is seated on the right hand of God the Father. Jesus Christ who is coming again. Our hope 
is based on objective reality. Because it is objective, we also have subjective conviction based on this great objective hope. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, Jesus our hope. We took hold of Jesus, our hope. And the Greek text is saying, we continue to hold on to him. Daily, moment by moment, we grip him and we grasp him. And we will not let him go. Every heir of salvation will do that. There is no other hope. There is no other savior. It is through him salvation come to the world. He is the perfect high priest. He is the perfect victim in our place. He is the perfect altar. And he is the perfect atonement. He and he alone gives us eternal life. And he said, I will give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Brothers and sisters, not only that, we grasp him. But he has grasped us. And nothing can separate us from his grasp. Because he grasps us, we grasp him. We are eternally saved, come, come what may. And we have mighty encouragement. This oath and this promise given that we may have, present tense, mighty encouragement. That means continually have mighty encouragement. Not the encouragement of material security, marital security of this world, or the security of health and power, and beauty and worldly wisdom. It is a mighty security resting upon God's Son. Mighty security of God's unfailing promise and oath to save us. And He has saved us. And He is saving us. And He will save us. This encouragement we may have continually. Not only that we had it once, but we can have it today. And every day, now we can have this mighty encouragement as you and I face severe trials. Brothers, we are a people of hope. This hope is set before us. Look before you. There is hope. There is Jesus who is the way. Look before you. He is the shepherd. You see him in the word of God. This hope is set before you. Lay hold of him. Read the word. Believe the word. Enjoy great comfort and hope and mighty encouragement. And finally, fifth, God's anchor of hope is Jesus. Who is this hope we are grasping? Is it money? No, sir. Is it a country? No, sir. We look forward to a city that is heavenly. A country that is heavenly. It is Jesus. This Jesus who died for our sins and raised for our justification. This Jesus. The text says we have. We have as anchor 
of the soul. Again, present tense, we have it, sir. When you face your examination, you have. When you go to the doctor, you have this. When they tell you it is terminal, you have this. And the hour of death, you have this. When your husband or wife forsake you, you have this, sir. When your child dies, you have this. We have Jesus, our hope, as an anchor for the soul. We have, continually have, as an anchor for our souls. Soul doesn't mean just the immaterial part. It simply means he is anchor of our entire life, both body and soul. The ship of our life is not immune to severe winds, rain, and mighty storms. We are moored to Jesus, who is moored to God, who dwells in the holy of holies of the heavenly sanctuary. Sailors do not see the anchor that grips the bottom of the harbor, but they are certain of their safety. Even so, by faith, our anchor Jesus, though invisible to us, but visible to faith and hope, is in us as the hope of glory. He is also with God. Two chains link, function as link and chain. One is promise and one is oath, in which Jesus, our hope, is linked to us and linked to God. He is in us the hope of glory. He is also with God. For he has entered the heavens. And seated on the right hand of God. As our high priest sir, to intercede for us. And he is high priest forever. And we are told this anchor of our hope Jesus is sure. And the Greek word tells us it doesn't slip. Jesus does not slip and lose his grip. He does not change his mind even when we slip and sin. Our anchor still holds and grips the solid rock. This anchor, Jesus, is also steadfast. He is dependable forever. In the hour of your sickness, your persecution, your death, when all other anchors fail, our anchor of hope, Jesus, never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus never fails. The disciples were shaken when the storm arose and filled the boat with water. They cried out, we perish, save us, O Lord. And Jesus saved them by calming the storm. And there was a great calm. Even so, Jesus, our anchor of hope, makes great calm of all our great storms. The peace of God, we are told, that passes all human understanding shall grip and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He tells us, fear not, I am with you. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. He has died. He is risen. 
He ascended. He went through the heavens. He entered the heavenly holy of holies. Our anchor of hope, Jesus, is with the Father. He entered heaven, we are told, as our forerunner. It's an important word. As our scout. He arrived there in God's presence on our behalf to bring every one of us to God's presence. And he shall never fail in this mission. By his sacrifice he made the way for us to God. And he is our shepherd. And he guides us and brings us to the celestial city. To the holy of holies. Behind the veil to God's presence. Turn with me to chapter 2 and verse 10 of the book of Hebrews that speaks about the mission of Jesus Christ. What is the mission? In bringing many sons to glory. His mission is to bring many sons to glory and he has done it. He is there already and we will be there soon, one by one. In fact, Paul says that in one sense, We are already seated with Christ. As branches are united with the vine. In his being seated. We are also seated. We are vitally united with him. Fear not dear ones. Fear not the fiery trials. And fear not your own death. To us to live is Christ. And to die is gain. To us to depart is to be present with Christ. By faith and hope, fix your eyes on Jesus. Not the storms of life. Fix your eyes on Jesus our hope. Jesus our sure anchor. Jesus in heaven. Jesus our forerunner. Jesus our high priest. Jesus our atonement. See him in the scriptures. St. Paul tells us in Romans 15 and verse 4. The scriptures are for our hope. And he who is reading the scriptures. Believing the scriptures. Will overflow with encouragement. Comfort and hope. See him as Stephen saw him. Let me read to you from chapter 7 of book of Acts. Verse 55 and 59. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he is dying, he is being stoned. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. That's God the Father. And Jesus, not seated. Here we are told, standing at the right hand of God, is welcoming Stephen. To bring him into the very presence of God. Which is his mission. Look. He said I see heaven open. And the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And verse 9. Lord Jesus. Receive my spirit. Stephen was welcomed by him. Into heaven. Even so he will welcome every child of God to heaven. What is the conclusion of the whole matter? Let me ask you this. Have you fled 
from the world of sin to Jesus for your safety, for your salvation? Have you believed in his oath-packed promise to save you? Is your soul moored to Jesus who is moored to God that you may enjoy the peace of God when all other foundations give way? Have you seized upon the hope that is laid before you in the gospel, even Jesus Christ? Jesus said, the Lord, the prophets and the writings speak of me, that Christ must die and be raised from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins may be proclaimed to all nations. Let me ask you, how are you building your life? What is your foundation? Let me read to you from the words of Jesus. Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them to practice, hear and do, hear and do, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. All other earthly foundations shall fail. We are told in this book of Hebrews that he is going to shake everything. One more time. That the unshakable kingdom of God alone may stand. Now let me read to you the hope of unbelieving people who never trusted in Jesus Christ. And tell me whether it makes sense. This is speaking about people who died without Christ. Oh, may I join the choir invisible, George Eliot, of those immortal dead who live again in minds made better by their presence, live in pulses stirred to generosity, in deeds of daring rectitude, in scorn for miserable aims that end with self in thoughts sublime that pierce the night like stars, so shall I join the choir invisible whose music is the gladness of the world. It is called sheer nonsense. Did it make any sense to you, sir? It didn't make sense to me. John MacArthur speaks of a missionary to China, 28-year-old John Stam and his young wife Betty. The year was 1934. The communists led them away for execution for their faith in Jesus. Someone on the road asked them, where are you going? They answered, we are going to heaven. Can you say today, right now, that you are going to heaven? Can you say this at the hour of your certain death? I am going to heaven. Where Jesus, my anchor of hope, is waiting for me. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gospel. The gospel came to us, miserable sinners, and you regenerated us. You granted us saving faith. You granted us the gift of authentic repentance. We have fled from all our silly foundations, all allurements of the world, the pleasures of sin. 
and we by your grace trusted in Jesus Christ our anchor of hope of salvation the Lord is our shepherd we shall lack nothing he is the way and he is the guide and he will finish his mission in bringing us to the very presence of God and so David in great faith says surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever help us O Lord to trust in Jesus Christ alone and be saved and have on a daily basis this great and mighty encouragement that Jesus Christ is the anchor of our soul and when we are buffeted by all kinds of storm we will experience that peace of God that passes all human understanding and that peace of God will steady us thank you O God for your eternal salvation Amen You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio with this message entitled, Jesus, Our Anchor of Hope. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.